Okay, tonight we are continuing with the series Extreme Makeover Brain Edition, or uh, the nickname I've just, you know, been calling it, in case you don't want to say that whole Extreme Makeover Brain Edition, is Brain Makeover. So, and today, as we talked about, we're going to be focusing on feelings and how to help feelings be helpful. Now, have you ever noticed, you know, times where you, you didn't love having feelings? <laughs> Sometimes they seemed to be so loathsome and unwelcomed and, and, and unwanted. And I know if, we can, if you can think about times in your life, too, that, um, that it felt like feelings were out of control and you didn't know what to do, or they just sort of took over in different parts of your life and and gave you a sense of powerlessness. Well, I think part of what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about understanding feelings and how they work. I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding about feelings. For one, and I'm going to kind of, you know, review a little bit from last week. In this whole series, it's based on, in Romans, it talks about the fact that we can be transformed, that we can be it's, the word transformed is actually the Greek word metamorpho, which is metamorphosis, where we get metamorphosis from. So we can change. We can change like from a caterpillar to a beautiful butterfly by the renewing of our minds, the word of God says. And God actually speaks a lot about what we do with our thoughts, what we do with our heart, what we do with our mind. And this series is designed to help you to see how much more powerful and rich and fulfilling your life can be if you manage your mind and what happens in your mind. And, this, and God understands life. God is the creator of life, the you know, creator of all lives, understands us and how we work and how we're built. So clearly this is a topic that he would know something about and know how we work the most effectively. I like to think of the Bible as being an instruction manual for life by our creator. God understands us and knows how we're built. And so in the Bible, it says that God's given us, well, it it says, not just in the Bible, but the Bible says that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So in the scriptures, we can look and get the wisdom of how to understand how our lives can work better and, and at their maximum capacity, maximum potential, and how we can get, um, as Jesus promised, Jesus said that he came that we could have life and have it to the full. So that's what we're looking at in this overall topic. Now, on the feelings department, um, we're going to take a look, because I think, do you think, like, when we think about feelings, that we think that there's good feelings and bad feelings? What are good feelings? Happy. Happy. Love. Love. Joy, peace, freedom. We're feeling free. So what about uh, bad feelings? What are bad feelings? Depressed. Anxious, angry, guilt, envy, shame. Oh, oh man, you guys are good at the bad ones. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? (laughs) So you can see that, you know, the ones that come to mind are the ones that aren't the most fun. So... But I, what we talked about last week is that feelings are not really good or bad. 
what they do is that their little flags, I had a little chart up here that had a flag with little, I mean, a, a, a brain with little flags that's, that were our feelings, and they're indicators of what's going on inside for us, of what we're thinking about. So if we look at them that way, and you can't, so we don't want to judge feelings to be good or bad, and I'm going to actually show you some very specific examples of that, but feelings are based on what we have been thinking about, what our th where our thoughts have been dwelling. So what we want to look at is um, we're going to look at what is causing the feelings and take it from there. But first, you have to be aware that you have feelings. There was a time in my, no, I mean, I hear laughter, but <laughs> how many of us have been in a place that you had a feeling and tried to ignore it, shove it down, etc.? Yeah. And, you know, I would say I was at a place where I did that for so long that it was like I was dead inside. Because if you're having unpleasant feelings that feel out of control, then it would make sense. I, I hate this. This is terrible. And so... Many of us have taught ourselves not to feel to the place that we've become callous. So I want to look at, for one, the value of, of acknowledging your feeling. That we want, and it's something you can grow in. If you've grown out of it, if you've taught yourself not to feel, you can also teach yourself to feel. I was so dead inside in one point in my life. Um, as some of you know, I was, uh, I was abused as a child, and my... My father, when he would beat me, I would look at him and I would, I would consciously say, you can't get to me. You will not shake me. There were nothing. You cannot. I was so dead inside that, that, I mean, and I was like five. You know, imagine at five years old, children are normally pretty emotional beings. So at a very young age, I taught myself not to feel, to just be a stone and to not let anything get to me. I would say when you're a child and you have no power over your environment or your situation, that's actually a useful thing to do. Because if you can't manage it, if you don't have control, it's probably better to be dead and not feel than to have all of these painful feelings and there's no answer or anything that you can do with it. But the Bible speaks about, and we're going to look at a section, if you can go to Ephesians 4, we're going to look at that there's a cost. There's a cost to ignoring feelings. Many of us have known, you know, kind of know that a little bit, that we've seen where it costs us in some ways. Um, for one, we had talked about it last week, but we're going to talk a little bit in more detail. If you think that feelings are a warning system that tells you something's going on, the fact that you feel, your warning system is gone, what happens? <laughs> you know, I think about, for me, it just helps me to understand that even the physical body, the fact that we can feel things and feel pain is useful because, oh, I think I'll, I'll, Marta's back. Marta hurt her back recently. Now, what you're supposed to do is if you feel some pain, you don't do things to make it worse. <laughs> but, but we, she's sorry, I hope I'm not in big trouble for picking on her, but the thing is, is it's supposed that our bodies are built in a way. I've done it a million times myself, so I'm a big talker here. So um, I've done this over and over with my physical body, where I've ignored the signals that my body's saying not a good thing to do, and I've done it anyway and paid a very dear price, where it's caused much more serious injury and damage. The same way that the physical body works, our emotions work the same way as well. They're, our emotions are little things that, all, there's nothing wrong with the emotion. It's just trying to tell us something. 
It's trying to give us information and let us know something else is going on. So we want to, let's look at Ephesians, and we're going to look at first the cost, because I want to I want to talk you into not shoving your feelings down. That's step one. So step one is learning to have feelings and pay attention to them. And we have a little chart, and you can even take your little chart home right here that, um, about feelings. Step one, learn to have feelings and pay attention to them. We have extras, too, if you want to take some, give them to friends or something. Um, so, and, you, and you can learn and grow to be better at that. Most of us have gone through our lives, and I did, too, where... Um, but, you know, besides just being a kid, but even in my adult life, etc., it was a long process to just notice that I had feelings and to allow them to happen. Um, and sometimes this is, this actually, we could probably do a whole teaching just on this part, come to think of it. But, um, uh, but let's take a look at the cost of, of ignoring feelings. And in, in Ephesians 4 and verse 19, it says... Having lost all sensitivity, the word is actually uh, having been past feeling, that you're beyond being able to feel, is actually the Greek word. Having lost, well, it's just kind of the same idea. If you lost sensitivity, you've lost the ability to feel. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Oh, actually, let's back up. I want to start in 17, sorry. Um, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Why? Due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. So this is very revealing. The fact is, is that it's talking about the fact that when you do this, you know, when you have, you know, lost your feeling, what happens is you're darkened in your understanding. You can't see what the heck is going on. You're like walking without being able to feel. You might as well be walking around blind because there's so much that you're not going to be aware of that you will absolutely have your eyes closed to that's going on. You're not taking in the stimuli that God intended you to take in. Um, and, then ha- and then it says, plus it separates you from the life of God in that. Some of us have understood that and experienced that as well. Um, due to the end, it causes a hardening of the heart eventually. If you've gotten to the place that you have made yourself not feel your heart will be hard. You've seen that. You've met that. Many of us have experienced that. And honestly, I think everybody has in some part of their lives. I believe that nobody has walked through this life because it is a, it is a protective thing when we don't know what to do with our feelings that we create this guard, this wall that's not taking things in. So step one is learning to have feelings and paying attention to them. So I want you to also look... I want. Um, not to shame yourself when you have the feelings. And I ha- have another handout on the feeling words that you got. And the reason I gave that to you, because if this is something that you have not, you know, you've not spent a lot of time thinking about this or spending time paying attention to the things that come up, what I'd like you to do as a homework assignment this week <laughs> is to spend time this week as best you can 
to just notice when you're feeling something and not squish it down, but just be curious. Don't shame, don't judge, just be curious about what it is. And also to try and name what the feeling is. Sometimes uh, the first part is just becoming aware. And this is a very exhaustive, um, or not exhaustive, but it's a pretty thorough list. And it has different categories, angry, afraid, doubtful, eager, happy, hurt, interested, sad, you know, all these things. And then it has some specific words for that. So it's a good thing to be growing in your awareness of yourself and knowing what's going on with you as far as learning to have feelings. So, okay. Um, step two <coughs> in, the feeling, in the feelings department is to think about what you're thinking about. So that means... If you have a feeling, we talked about this last week, but we're just going to go into this particular topic in more detail, is if you have a feeling, it didn't come from nowhere. It didn't just magically appear. I know it seems like that. Have you had feelings that just you didn't know where, why am I feeling sad all of a sudden? Wow, I'm depressed. Why am I depressed? You know, man, I feel frustrated. Boy, I feel irritated. I feel empty. I feel angry. I feel whatever. And you don't know why? You feel unmotivated or whatever it might be, and you're like, why do I feel this way? What happens is, and what you can do to figure it out, is to roll back your mind and think about over the last few hours, and even through the last few days, roll back, what, where, where have you been spending your time? What have you been thinking about? It, because the thoughts are what lead to the feelings. The feelings are only a reaction to the, to the thoughts. There's nothing wrong with the feeling. It's just telling you what, that you're responding to something that you've been dwelling on. You can't control the feeling, but you can control the thoughts. And that's what we're going to look at. So first, we want to become aware of what the thoughts are that are leading to that feeling. If, if we're feeling sad, we want to think about, okay, what have I been thinking about? As I talked about last week, sometimes for me these days, because usually I'm, I'm, I can pick up, I'm pretty good these days at picking up pretty quickly when I'm feeling something. But what happens sometimes is I'll get sad and, I'll re- and it seems like I'm like, um, there's nothing big really happening. And it turns out that there's a lot of smaller things that are starting to mount and get to me where I start feeling, you know, either overwhelmed or, you know, powerless or what, what have you, where there's a number of things that are adding up to feel that way. So step two, you want to roll back your thoughts and understand what you're thinking about. Now, step three is actually to take a look at those thoughts and are they based on reality? Because it's not that the feelings are wrong, but what happens is sometimes we can have negative emotions that are based on something that's not even real. You know, so, and, we, and, and there's many, many instances that this happens that um, we're going to talk about. Um, sometimes what happens is um, there's misperceptions about how life works or what you're expecting, and so you're having the thoughts that you're, that you're thinking about. Like, for instance, you might feel like you're responsible for something that you're not responsible for. You might, f- you might be thinking about the fact that, you th- that somebody did or said something and you think that they don't like you. And you're interpreting it that way, and that's not what's really going on. You just read, you just co- went to the conclusion, I'm sure that they don't like me. I think they're angry with me. I think they're rejecting me, that kind of thing. Um... Or it can be, there's just, so we want to sort of sort this out. It can also be that our feelings are reaction to triggers of things that have happened in the past. 
where it has nothing to do with the situation, but what's happening is we're reacting and you know, as if it's something happening in the current and it's just that it's reminding us of something that hurt us in the past. So something in the current could be completely safe and not be a problem at all, but we're getting upset, we're getting angry, we're getting emotional because of the fact that we're afraid it's just there's something similar there that's triggering something from the past and that we're connecting those two and saying, it, oh, I, it's just sort of a knee-jerk reaction. Half the time, it's not something that we're logically thinking through at all. It's just that one thing reminds us of something else. Um, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but let me take a look at a couple of scriptures where we're going to look at what we would think of as bad emotions, you know, and think about when they are good and when they're not good. Um, let's go to um, Mark 10. Mark chapter 10, really quickly. Oops. And we're going to look at, you, uh, some of you might remember this um, story. It's a rich man that talks to Jesus in Mark 10. And this is about the emotion of sadness. And we're going to see what the effect is when it's based on reality and what it is when it's based on perception. Uh, there's so many, it's just fascinating how many examples there are in the Bible about this. But in Mark chapter 10, in verse 22, um, oh wait, wait, actually let's go back to 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, uh, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not, adult, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, one thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great worth, wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? So here we have, this is a really interesting thing because his reaction is sadness, but what Jesus had, if you think about this, I mean, we could, you know, kind of understand the sadness, but he left. When Jesus had asked the others to follow him, they became... I mean, this could have been an invitation for him being an apostle. You know, when Jesus said, come follow me, it's kind of, it was a big deal. So, but he lost out on that opportunity to follow Jesus Christ because he had money. There was something going on in his heart that he was more attached to material things than a spiritual walk. How much did he probably miss out on? Do you know what I mean? I mean, just consider that. Yes, the money I get that is sad, but he left because of that. And I believe that if you look at that part as far as based on reality, not reality, yes, the reality is that he had money and he's sad, but the other part of the reality is that it's the Lord Jesus Christ. What would have happened if he had spent his, his life following and traveling and living with Jesus? What did he miss out on there? Yeah, I mean... So it's interesting to see where we see sadness that's reacting and his reaction and his response because his skewed perception was that money was the highest value. That he, he was looking at his life in the way that money was more valuable than following Jesus. 
that's, you know, um, so he missed. I, I really think the guy missed out, I got to say. Um, and then we'll look at, um, let's go to Ecclesiastes. Oops. Uh, I just want to look at another one as far as sad, sadness. We're just looking at, the, it's not the emotion that's good or bad, but you can see that what's relevant about it is the thinking that's behind it, is it based on reality or not reality? Is it based on part truths or the whole truth or no truth? Um, Ecclesiastes 7 in verse 3 says, sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. And so you wouldn't think that. The heart of the wise is in the house of the morning, <laughs> but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. So you see that there's a lot of value in allowing ourselves to be sad. There's a lot of healing. If we ignore sadness, you know, we'll never heal. There are things that we do need to be sad about and, and grieve and let go so that we can go on. We, I'm not going to go into a big teaching on grieving. You can go to the dating workshop for that. But um, I'm just going to promote things during my teaching all the way through. But um, this is a whole section on grieving. But if you do not let yourself be sad and let go of a loss, you make no room for God to put new stuff in there. You're holding on to, I still wish I had this. I still wish I had this. I still wish I had this. There's no room for God to give you anything else. So that's why it's talking about if you need to be sorrowful, Laughter is not going to be good. That, I'm sorry, wrong answer. So it's not the emotion. It's, it's where the emotion's coming from and why. Okay, let's take a look at um, anger. Anger we think about, and that came up in the bad uh, emotion. Let's go back to uh, Mark. Uh, actually, you know what? Let's go to... I thought I was going to do... Let's go Mark 5. I changed my mind a little bit on which section to go to. Now, we think of anger as being kind of a bad thing. I surely did. When I was a kid, I, I tell you, I really, really thought anger was bad because I was raised in a household where there was rage all the time. And I really came to think growing up that anger was something that if you got angry, you could die. I mean, that's how extreme it was. So I avoided anger at all costs. I acted like I never got angry. I just... Uh, I would not give in to anger or let myself go there because I really thought it was a scary emotion. But Jesus got angry, and God gets angry. So anger is a useful emotion. Anger, what it does, if you think about it, what it's reacting to, if you think about when you get angry, anger is the sense that there's been a wrong happened. And you want to, and the anger is something that gives you the, the desire and moving forward to want to do something to right the wrong. It's kind of, and that's why people kind of like anger sometimes. You know, some people that feel powerless enjoy it, and that's where ragers come from sometimes, you know, from time to time is because it, fe it feels empowering because it has the ability to make you feel like, I'm going to go do something. It feels, it feels powerful. It feels like action. Because there's some truth in the roots of anger are the sense of righting and injustice. You're saying, I see the injustice here. I'm angry about it. I want to do something to right this wrong. And so we see this in Jesus. And there's a number of uh, situations where we've seen Jesus be angry. But this one in particular is, um, I think, oops, sorry. Uh, I kept changing my mind. Mark 3. You can turn to Mark 3. 
And this is a, a story that I feel is pretty compelling. Uh, in verse 1, it says, Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. Oh. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed over their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. And then it says the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians on how they might kill Jesus. So what you see, this is a justice as far as anger. This is something to get angry about. Jesus was looking at a man that was hurting. He was sh his hand was withered. It was shriveled. He couldn't have the use of his hand. And they were, all they cared about is if they could accuse Jesus that he did it on the Sabbath. That was all that they cared about? He was, <gasps> looked at them and it was disgust. It, he was just deeply disturbed. He was angry. He said, really? What is right? And they're just like, we're just waiting to accuse you. We also remember, I know it's a famous story that I'm not going to turn to it, but Jesus was angry at the money changers in the temple and he threw the tables over. This is anger. It's because of seeing something that's unjust and wanting to just and, and wanting to write it. It can be a helpful thing. It's good not to be out of control anger. In fact, the Bible talks about we'll see actually that. <laughs> Let's go to Genesis 4, the first word for angry in the Bible is in Genesis 4. Another famous story in verse 3. It says, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? And listen to this. If you do what is right, you will... Oh, sorry. If... Oh, sorry. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out in the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know. He replied, am I my, my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Okay. I want to look at this because there's a number of things to observe about this. Because this is what I'm talking about, is that it's anger based on a perception of justice. Because Cain felt absolutely just in this. What drove him in the anger was feeling he was wronged because his sacrifice was not accepted, only Abel's. God said to him, because what had happened, and you can see the record is that, that Abel's heart, when he brought the offering to the Lord, is to bring the best to the Lord. And Cain was just sort of trying to go, okay, we'll just do what we got to do. We'll find something to give the Lord. I don't really care. Let's just dig up something and give them. And the Lord's like, no, I'm not taking this offering. 
And it angered Cain to the degree that he murdered his brother. Wow. Talk about, like, we get the feeling. We get that it's still the sense of it's just. And there's still, like, it's result. It's moving you towards action. He actually acted out on it. Not everybody acts out on it, but it makes you want to move towards action. But it's because his perception was the fact that he had done everything right and the Lord should have blessed him too. And the Lord's going, no, if you do what's right, you'll be blessed too. I'm not holding out. The Lord was not holding out on Cain. The Lord was not being mean to Cain. But Cain got his head, God's not fair. You know, God doesn't like me. God's treating somebody else better. Blah, 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 blah. Fester, fester, fester. And kills his brother. So you, do you see the pattern here? That it's based on the thinking, but sometimes the thinking is based on truth, and sometimes the thinking is based on skewed perception that's not reality. Does that make sense? You guys get following me here? Okay, seeing how this works, are you coming up with your own examples in your own life? Because we've all done this. It's not just, I mean, we haven't killed our brother. But we've all done the thing where we've gotten ourselves really worked up about something anger, revenge, anything, and gotten upset and felt so just, and we were so out of bounds. Anybody, you know, how many people can relate? Thank you, there's some honest people in there. <laughs> it's so, you see that it's not the emotion, but wh- how we want to manage it is by looking at what our thinking is. We want to look at the thinking that led to the emotion. So, that kind of, and then there's things in the Bible which we're not going to, you know, about being not, being slow to anger is not being reactive. And then it talks about not letting the sun go down on your anger, which means that we're not to let it sit where, what happens is anger when it's really based on, on weird things winds up, we talked about this last week, going in sort of um, circular behavior where it doesn't actually go anywhere. It just, you stay stuck in it. And, and we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks quite a bit. Um, let's go to, well, I want to talk about another one that, that you think is a good feeling, which is love. Now, in this, I'm not going to, you guys know, there's zillions of verses of scripture about love. And we usually think, I mean, love is a good thing. But, you know, when I, one of the things about love is, is if you don't look at what the thoughts are that lead to it. I know when I was younger, one of the areas that I was very confused about is I met a, I met a minister, actually, in, in uh, oh, I must, I was probably a teenager. And he told me, and I, he said, well, he married his wife, and he was never in love with her. And it really threw me, because I believed at that time, you know, I believed that when you get married, you're not supposed to get divorced. So, and I thought that the basis of marriage is falling in love with somebody. And I thought that you had no control over falling in love. Have you heard that teaching, you can't help who you love? Have you thought about that? That's crap. It's a lie. That's absolute. Honestly, if you could not help who you love, we're, you're in trouble. If you got no control over who you love, I'm sorry, you're heading for disaster now, and I do not want to see your love life. It, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We have this. It's a teaching. You hear it over and over. It's in the movies. It's on TV. You can't help it. Wow, really? That means that you can't help it if you fall in love with somebody that's absolutely horrible for you, that's insane, that's abusive, that's a liar, that's a cheat, but you can't help it. And you hear this all the time. 
You can't help the feeling. Or you're married, like this guy was, you know, and of course, you know, he was cheating all the time. But the idea was you can't help it. You're married. You can't help if you fall for somebody else while you're married. Talk about a mess. I'm telling you, you cannot be a married person if you think that you can't help yourself as far as who you love. What helped me with this, because I seriously, I had no clue that you had any control over this emotion of love. And what I want to talk to you about is what, what we're thinking about and what we're feeding our minds, whether it's based on truth or, or lies, has everything to do, that's how we control what, who we love, you know, is what we're focused on. I'll give you some, some oh, and actually... I wanted to say, the way that I realized this is that I read a book called, um, by Dr. Ed Wheaton called Love Life for Every Married Couple. And there was this section, there was a chapter in it that said, um, falling in love, the thrill factor. And he talked about the fact that there were couples that had fallen out of love, and he gave the ingredients and the recipe for how to fall in love with somebody that you fell out of love with. Because if you fell in love and you don't feel love anymore and you think you got no control over love, it's divorce court. Sorry, can't help it. I just don't feel that way anymore. How insane is that? I'm telling you, it's no wonder no, everybody's getting divorced or they're miserable. But what it was, it was so, this, it was right in here is what it, what it was is he talked about there are certain things that trigger the feelings of falling in love. There are things like, being in a romantic place is feeding you, oh, this feels nice, there's a fire, isn't this romantic? Do you know what I'm saying? Or whatever it might be, you know. Look at the other things that, as far as where you fall in love. What, you don't know somebody, but you're sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, he's so handsome, and look at that mouth, and, uh, <laughs> and his voice, oh my gosh, his voice just melts me when I talk to him on the phone. It's just so great. And oh, I bet you he would be a wonderful man of God, and I bet you he would pay attention to me. And you just start, and you start, what do you do? You have all of these fantasies about what you think this person's going to be in your life. You build the picture. They're going to be ideal. They're going to save the day. They're going to make you feel better. It's not always based on reality, is it? If you're ha- and we're going to talk about this more in the dating workshop in March. <laughs> but, you know, where we talk about this more. But the thing is, it's, you can feed thoughts if you look at the pattern of the way that we think to fall in love. You can do it the same way when you're married. You're married, you're, you know, you make a commitment, think your husband doesn't do everything that you like, and you just go, wait, wait, I'm spiraling, if, seriously, I got to do this. If you want to stay married, you sit there focusing on the bad things and all of a sudden you're going, oh, what a jerk. What am I married to him for? And you're just going, you start noticing yourself going that and you're going, this is not a blessing. You know, I, you know, really, do I want to stay here? How, how helpful is this to my marriage that I'm, that I'm spinning out on focusing on, oh, he doesn't clean up his clothes. And blah, you know, I mean, people get divorced over not picking up their clothes, people. People get divorced over not what they feel like doing for hobbies. That, it's happening all the time. You know, and so if you think that you have no control over your feelings, I mean, you know, which 
or your thoughts, but being aware of how we're feeding our thoughts. You don't open the door. I don't open the door at all, you know, to thinking about, oh, isn't this other man attractive? No, there's no thinking about that. There's nothing. It doesn't happen. It's like, no, no, no. We had the little chart up there with the guarding your mind, you know, with the brain, and you got the guard at the door, and you're like, no. You know, you don't feed on that. There's no room for that. It's not an option. Do you see, you know, I'm not talking about the fact that you ignore serious abuses or things like that. Somebody's beating you up, and you're just saying, well, got to be thankful, you know. It's probably all I'm going to get. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying everybody's got shortcomings, flaws, etc. You make a commitment to somebody and you're married. I'm, you know, uh, short of abuse, you can figure out how to make this work and how to stay in love and still have feelings for somebody if you work at this. You can also keep yourself in a place that you're not cheating, that you're not f- fantasizing or thinking about other people, etc. Because what you can, you can't control the feeling, but you can control what you're thinking about that the feeling got is springing up from. Does that make sense? Is that making, coming together for people as far as a love thing? Okay. Uh, getting attached too soon. You know, like, what, that's the thing, too. We talk about that in the dating workshop where you like somebody and you don't even know them. So you can hear about that. Come to the dating workshop. Um, okay. So as we said, I want to talk a little bit about, um, again, before we go on, of being aware of the fact, because we want to see, are our thoughts based on reality or not reality? That's what, that's the, that's what we're talking about. We want to be able to separate this out. Another, another one that I had talked about, which um, is the trigger thing, where we have had past hurts. Um, sometimes it, for me, um, I was raised in a very controlling family, and so I very easily felt controlled when I wasn't being controlled. You know, like anything. It could be structure. That's why I didn't have any discipline. I didn't have any, you know, it was very hard for me to even structure my day or my time or anything else because I was relating to it as I need to be free. I was controlled in my life. I've got to be free. So sometimes it's, that can be a trigger. You can think things like, I had a bad relationship with a man, so all men are bad. You know, or, or it can actually work the other way, strangely enough, which... Um, where you get attracted to somebody because of a past relationship, because you're trying to fix it. We'll talk about that in the dating workshop, too. (laughs) So one big advertisement for the dating workshop. Um, So things like that. People do that with church, don't they? You know, people had a bad church experience, and all churches are bad. God is bad. God isn't bad, but people have a bad church experience and think that God is bad. So part of this is like separating out, is how I'm reacting based on reality or is it based on a trigger from something else that happened that now I'm fearful, now I'm guarded, now I, anything that reminds me of that freaks me out. Okay, let's take a look at step four, what to do with the thoughts. Okay, and this one's a little bit more involved as far as the example goes. If we got a couple paths here. If it's not based on reality, if you get a thought and it's not based on reality, then you get help to line your thoughts up with reality. We had talked last week. The Bible says to lead every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You cannot stop thoughts from entering your mind, the momentary thoughts. We all get some crazy thoughts that enter in rapidly. But you need to, the Bible says to stand guard, to guard your heart. We had a little chart with a guard man standing in front. Um, There's the guard, so you can see it on your little handout, the guy with the shield and the 
and the sword. So that little guard there is what we're going to guard so that when you get the thoughts coming in, the goal is, and you know that it's not based on reality, that it's based on something else, once you sift that out, then you get help with it. You get help for one, lining it up with reality. You also get help figuring out whether it's reality or not from God, from scripture, and from others. We need outside input when we're not in reality to find out that we're not in reality. We need sane, safe people in our lives. There are many, many things that I get. I ask for input constantly. Ask the people that are, that are around me all the time. And I, am, I don't do jack squat, it seems like, without going, what do you think? What do you think? Am I in reality? Am I in reality? Do I have this weird? Do I see this? Cry? I mean, you know. Ask Chris, Susie, Patty, you know, just like, it's like a nonstop, like, I I, want to know if I'm tracking or if I'm nuts, or not just them, it was like whether it's Church Planner Group, John Townsend, any of those, I'm like constantly like, tell me am I in reality or not. So, um, So we want to be getting help, so that if we see that it's not in reality, we can take it captive and make it open and say, that's not reality, Nancy, that's not reality. I'm just reacting from an old fear. That's not what's actually happening right now. I'm just insecure. That's why I'm feeling this way. You know, whatever it is, so that you can bring yourself and get help bringing yourself by talking about it, getting input back into reality. So that's how you handle the not reality thoughts. If it is based on reality, then here's what you can do. The question becomes, can you do something about it? There are things that you can be reacting to that are reality that you can do nothing about. There are things that you can do something about. So, if the thought, if it's not, if it's something you can't do anything about, which there are many things that upset us that we have no power over, many things that really are troublesome, that we hate, our boss is a jerk, well, I guess we can do something about that. Um, (laughs) um, You know, there's just, there's... You know, there's a bunch of things. We, we don't like the parents we have. Guess what? You're stuck with them. You don't like your past. You don't like that you didn't get an education or that you didn't get, that you're not as bright as somebody else or that you're not, you know. We're, next week, actually, we're going to focus everything about how we think about ourselves is next week's topic. We're going to go through that and walk through this whole process of how to bring our minds um, into some sanity about how we think of ourselves. But basically, if you're looking at the things that you cannot change, which there's many of those things, old hurts, things that have happened to you in the past, um, many things. It could be physical limitations that we have. It could be, you know, whatever kind of limitations that we have. Limitations that I'm 53 and wasted a whole bunch of my life already, so I don't have as much time as all of you guys. Do you know, I'm just like, what is it? That That doesn't make me happy. Don't not love that fact about my life. My life was screwed up for so many years that I am just now, well, not just now, that's not true. It's, it hasn't been that long that I've been on the path to be doing good, healthy things with my life. So there's been years and years wasted. That is really, I could cry about that a long time. And I talked about that last week too, where I just sit there and protest reality. I wish it were different. I wish it were different. You cannot stay stuck. We talked about this last week, but I'll, it's it's worth repeating. If you spend tons of time just wishing the things you can't control were different, you cannot move. You have just guaranteed you're going no place. You'll just stay stuck with that. You cannot change things that you cannot change. 
You can wish it all day long. You will go nowhere. I spent some time grieving that the age thing. Now, anytime you do that, you're wasting the time, energy, talents, everything you've got. Your, your life is going down the toilet when you're doing that. So what you want to do, if it's no, that you can do something about it to accept serenity prayer, guys. This is, the, this is where the serenity prayer comes in. Um, if no, accept the things you cannot change, which is grieving the loss, moving on, and recognizing your powerlessness, and then letting go. So you go through the grieving process, which, again, we don't have time to walk you th- all the way through the grieving process. But you want to get help with friends, God, you know, God and others, God and others to help you to let go of the things that you cannot change to move on. It, to get sad, spend some time in sadness, and then let go. If, yes, you can do something about it, then second part of the serenity prayer is the cur- or the s- second part, yeah, is the courage to change the things that you can. So if y- you can do something, then you're going to pray and ask God and others to help you. What can I do about the things that I can do something about? What is it that I have power over that I can change in this that I don't like? Is there a piece of this that I can do something about? So if yes, get help from God and others for any of the above. All of the above, help from God and others and the Bible. So um, anyway, so let's kind of walk through the steps. that it's on, We put it on your handout so you can take it away and remember these steps because I really think that they're helpful. If you can think, if you can, uh, think about this. Step one is to learn to have feelings and pay attention to them. You have a feeling, learn to feel, have it be okay to feel, and pay attention to them. You know what else, just on this one, I'm just going to throw this in, is that um, sometimes when you're not feeling and you're really, if you're really, really dead and have a hard time feeling, then what you can do is have friends feel for you for a while in an area where you tell, like, actually what happened to me because of my abuse for a while, I would tell the story of my being abused and I'd never cry. I'd tell it and... I mean, blah, 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 like a little robot. Blah, 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 blah. And what helped me to connect, because I was so dead about it, is having friends of mine ball their heads off and go, oh, my God, that's, oh, you know, and react. And that helped me go, wow, why are you acting that way? Then it made me realize something's missing that I'm really dead inside here, but it helped me slowly over time to get that there had been something to take in the fact that there had been a loss there. So that's just another thing as far as if you're really, really having a hard time feeling something that can help you with the step one here and you're on your handout. Learn to have feelings and pay attention to them. Step two, to roll back when you're having the feeling. Ding, 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 I'm sad. Okay, what have I been thinking about for the last few hours today? What ha- what have, where have my thoughts been dwelling? And how have I been? It's not just what happened, but how have you been thinking about what happened? You know, what happened yesterday? What happened for the last few days, perhaps? You know, just go back until it makes sense to you, until you can kind of see what the pattern is. If you have a hard time, ask your friends. Go, I don't know, I feel sad, I can't figure it out. And maybe they can help you figure out, what, are you kidding? I just talked to somebody today, actually, <laughs> that had this really radical thing happen to them yesterday, and they go, I don't know why, I'm so upset. And then they told me what, I go, well, what's been going on? And they told me, I was like, are you kidding me? Of course you would be destroyed over that. And, and after a while, they were like, oh, you're right. Yeah, that was kind of serious, huh? You know? <laughs> huh, didn't really even think 
about it. I thought I shouldn't even, it shouldn't have even affected me. So sometimes help, you can get help from others, pray about it, uh, but think about what you've been thinking about. Step three, is it based on reality? And get help from God and the scripture and others to figure it out. Because all three of those are resources to sort through what's real and what's not real. Um, don't try and figure that all out by yourself. Uh, you know, because if we're not in reality, we're, it's not going to happen. Uh, step four, what to do with the thoughts are, it, there's a bunch of steps in step four. If it's not based reality, get help to line up with reality. If it is based on reality, can you do something about it? If no, accept the things I cannot change. If yes, the, cha- the courage to change. And again, getting help from God, Bible, others for all of that. So if you can see, we're going to be continuing on with the topic next week. As I said, we're going to be focusing on how we think of ourselves. And I'm going to look at a lot of specific examples as far as how you can walk through how you, how you view yourself. Now, the idea is not just a bunch of positive self-talk. That's who we, if it's just based on nothing real, it's not going to work. So the goal is to bring yourself into reality as far as how you're seeing yourself and how to do that and also how to walk through the renewed mind process and taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Can you see how as we're doing this, how much more powerful our lives can be? You know, that we cannot be spending time focused on things that are going nowhere, that we've got no power, no control over, but be aware of the things that we actually can do something about. You know, God, ha- God does not want us to feel pri- imprisoned by our feelings. You know, to, to be like laid out on the ground, you know, bawling our he- faces off or immobilized or paralyzed or any of those things that happen sometimes when we've got emotions and have no idea what to do or how to sort through them. Uh, but God has given us the ability and wants us to be free. God wants us to be free people. So, amen. amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are good and wonderful. And I like that if we're thinking you're not, it's not reality. <laughs> I know we think those things sometimes, God, but, you, but it's just great to know that we can look at things like the evidence of what you've done in our lives, what you've done in others' lives, and in scripture, and get help to bring us back to whatever it is that we're not really being in reality about that that we don't have to be stuck, that we don't have to be paralyzed by our feelings and taken out in this way, but that we can really move forward to let our feelings bless us, that we can enjoy them. Because you've made feelings to enjoy and to make us feel alive. That's why you gave us feelings. It's great to care. I'm excited that I care now. When I didn't care, I love that. I feel because it doesn't feel overwhelming anymore. It feels inspiring. It feels engaged in life. I don't feel disconnected anymore. And it's because of you and your healing power, God. It's because of you. You are able to do that. You are able to restore what the locusts have eaten. You're able to bring back whatever it is that we're lost. You're able to heal, God, so that we can have the range of feelings that you intended us to have and enjoy them and be alive and care. I pray, God, for all of us as we leave here that we can more and more bring captive every thought to the obedience of Christ and have peace and have the peace that you want us to have. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.